Now, let's turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, we're going to put a bow on the book of John today, Lord willing. We should be out here by halftime, so we'll be fine, but... uh, As we said just a few weeks ago, many people have said this is the book where children can wade in, but an elephant can swim here. This book is, in one hand, very easy to understand, but on another, uh, but in a, the same uh, sentence, you would say, but it's multi-layered and deep and profound. And you could keep studying it and keep studying it. And every time you do, I think what's going to happen is the Lord's going to do something through his word to you as a child of God, by the spirit of God, that's going to take you to a place, you know, you're going, wow, Lord, I never got this the fourth time through or the sixth time through or the 15th time through. What you're doing, Lord, is so amazing. And I want to show you something. I just want to read this to you. You know that the Lord wants to be your counselor. The Lord wants to do a mighty work in your heart, and he does it in different ways. Sometimes he teaches you, and he does teach us. Now we have his word, and boy, the teaching is amazing. And sometimes with his disciples, the Lord took the people around and sort of took them through life experiences. That's discipleship. And we're called to do that with people, aren't we? To bring them along in our life as we love the Lord, but more importantly, as he loves us and shows us where to go and to disciple people. And sometimes in the word of God, have you ever felt this? It feels like a knife, but that ain't bad. In fact, the Bible says, that the word of God is like a double-edged sword. And it's sharp, man. You know this? It's sharp. Sometimes it gets in there and it cuts out the things that that are worldly or fleshly. And, you know, you should be okay with that because physically sometimes you find something wrong with you and the doctor says, well, we're going to have to cut. And you go, go for it, man. And that's sort of what we do with the Lord. And the environment in which the Lord does his surgery on us as a counselor through his word is the environment of repentance and a renunciation, listen, of the self-life. What do you mean? Well, Jesus said to deny yourself. Deny yourself. Do you get this? And to take up your cross every single day as a Christian and follow him. That's our mandate. That's where we live. That's what we're to be about. The Lord says in many places that he wants to counsel you as you walk through this. Listen to this in Psalm 32. I'll instruct you and teach you in the way in which you should go. In fact, the Lord says, I will counsel you with my eye. And you know that, right? I mean, come on, I say something to my kids as the dad. I can be across the room and I can give them a look. And you might not know what it means because you're not with me all the time. But, you know, we were together for 18 or 19 straight years. And they know it. You know, that just that look. And it doesn't have to be a bad look. It could be a look like let's go or do something, right? But they know. And why? Because they're my kids, 
And see, the Lord wants to do that with you. How about this? Psalm 25, verses 12 and 14. Who is the man who fears the Lord? That means, you know, lives in reverence of the Lord. Who is that man? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Isn't that great? And the Lord's going to teach you in different ways. We're going to find that out today. I mean, the way the Lord's teaching Xander, of course, through the word is standard, but he's going to use circumstances and uh, uh, people in Xander's life that he might not use, use in my life. Maybe he's going to use in my life somebody different than in Xander. It doesn't, it's not, we're not cookie cutters. He doesn't use a cookie cutter stamp to disciple you and to grow you in the Lord. You get that? And, of course, you know Isaiah 9.6. One of the names of the Messiah is the Wonderful Counselor. The Lord wants to do a mighty work in your life. And in the life of Peter and the disciples, I just want us to go through it quickly. Well, not so quickly. But anyway, uh, just think about what was going on in their minds when we get to chapter 21. You see, at the end of chapter 20, John wrote this, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You just read the reason the book of John was written. So you would think, wouldn't you? Book over, case closed, done deal. Wouldn't you think that? But apparently, the Lord, through John, wanted to write an epilogue. And so he attached chapter 21. What's he doing in chapter 21? Well, practically what he's doing is he's restoring Peter. And also, he's putting to rest a myth that John was going to live until Jesus came. That's apparently practically on one level what John is doing. But it's more than that. (laughs) It's more than that. You see, all through here at the end of this book, through the trials that Jesus has gone through, through the lead up, in the upper room until Jesus walked the walk to the cross, died and now has risen again, we see Peter living the self-life. Oh, he likes to be religious. He likes to come around. He likes to even make declarative statements. Things like this. Turn with me to Matthew 26. Look what Peter wants to say in his self life, in his strength. How many of you were told when you were a kid, you need to be strong and pick yourself up by your bootstraps and don't depend on anyone and make your life so picture perfect that you don't have to be vulnerable and live with us. I mean, you can just, yeah, be nice to people, of course, but build your kingdom, get your retirement set, get ready for retirement and play golf and live the good life. Man, that's what I thought life was all about till the gospel of Jesus Christ was shared with me. And that sort of crept into the church. Be strong. Don't be vulnerable. 
Don't let anybody, you know, have to, or don't allow anybody to come around and to minister or counsel you because that would take admitting that you have an issue. And we think like that, even in the church, which is really anti-biblical, <laughs> as we're going to see today. Look what Peter said right before the prayer in the garden. Jesus is pre predicting Peter's denial. Listen to this in verse 31. Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Watch this. But after I have been raised, I'm going to go before you to Galilee. Now, before I knew the Bible, that, mean not, that meant nothing to me. But Galilee is 70 miles away from where he currently is. Now it means something to me. What it's saying to me is, my goodness, these resurrection accounts are real eye testimony witness accounts. They went not in Jerusalem, they met Jesus in Galilee after the resurrection. Okay, but here's what I want to show you. Peter answers him after Jesus says this and says this. You ever said something dumb like this? I say it all the time. Even if all are made to stumble because of you, Lord, I will never be made to stumble. You know what the implication is right there? It's so dripping with piety or false piety. And you know what he's saying? Hey, Jesus, you see these other 10? I'm the guy that loves you way more than they do. Thank you, Lord, for bringing me into the inner circle. You made an amazing choice, Lord, because I really do love you more than these. I'll never deny you. Jesus said, I say to you this night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times within hours. Now, all of them scattered except one, the guy who's writing the book, John, at the cross. But, G, uh, uh, but Peter uh, denied him three times. Let me take you over to chapter 18 of the book of John and just review it with you. Verse 15, chapter 18, And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that the disciple was known, now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Important people, Jesus is going before, and John and Peter are there. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I'm not. Now let me just ask you something. What does the Bible say about lying? It's a sin, right? You're not to tell lies. There, there's so much more going on here when he denies the Lord than just denying the Lord. What's another sin? Having idols. Do you know what Peter's idol was right there? Or who, his, who Peter's idol was right there? 
himself. He made an idol of himself. You ever done that? You're a people pleaser? I'm putting my hand up. You want people to like you more than you're for the Lord. I, I could be like that. I mean, he's getting ready to go to his death illegally. Innocent. And here's this one who said, hey, I love you more than these do. I'd never leave you. I could just see him pointing his finger, putting his fist on the desk. No way. And here he says, I'm not. Now I want you to see something in verse 18. The servants and officers, what did they make? <laughs> A fire of coals. And they stood there for it was cold and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. And then the high priest asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. And there's this interaction here between the high priest Annas, who wasn't really the high priest, he was, anyway, Annas and Caiaphas, going back, the high priest. We'll talk about that some other time or come up and ask me. But look in verse 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Where did he warm himself? Answer, around a what? That's important for today's story. You, therefore they said to him, hey, you're not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I'm not. Strike two. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him, whose ear Peter cut off, said, didn't I see you in the garden with Jesus? And Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Now watch. There's a couple other things you need to know. In another gospel, it says that Jesus came across the courtyard at that time, and the eyes of Peter and Jesus met. And I believe the way in which you think that look was, or how you describe that look between Peter and Jesus, tells you a lot about whether you're a grace-filled Christian or not. And I'm not criticizing you. This is what we want to do. We want to see this in a new light. See, here's why. I believe whatever the look was, like I can give my look to a family member that you wouldn't know, but the family member would, I believe there was something in the character of Christ that was showing grace to Peter, but also calling him to repentance in, in a healthy way. Not rubbing his nose in it, but calling him to repentance. I think so. One other thing I want you to know. In another gospel, it says during these interactions with these people around the high priest's house, when he denied Jesus, it said, it said in another gospel that Peter, watch, watch, swore and gave curses. One commentator I know, now listen, you just take this for food for thought. Who was he cursing? He wasn't cursing the religious people. He'd find himself in prison. He certainly wasn't cursing himself yet. The rooster hadn't crowed yet. And so this commentator suggests that what he was doing was he was putting, as people in the Near East would do, his loyal, or he was setting straight where his loyalty lied. 
so that he cursed his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that they would think he was tied not to Christ, but the people who were standing around the fire. In human terms, human, listen to what I'm saying. This is unforgivable. I'm not, I'm talking about without the Lord in our lives. This is the sin of all sins to deny our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, hours after he had said, I'll never do it. Now, I want you to see something. As that look came across the courtyard, as that look came across the courtyard, what do you think Peter was feeling? Oh, you know, the Bible tells us that he wept bitterly in that same account. He wept bitterly when they saw each other. And he must have been thinking to himself, it's over for me. God could never use me. I've aligned myself with the world. I pounded my fist. I sh pointed my finger. I implied that I was more lovable or more devout and more pious than the rest of them. And within hours, I've done this. How could the Lord use me? Now, wait a minute here. <laughs> before we pile on Peter, I've felt that way before. You probably have felt that way before. In fact, people who come into our offices or whatever, there's a lot of people who still feel this way. <laughs> how could God ever accept me? How could God ever? I know I'm a Christian, but how could God ever accept, accept me? I've done this and I've done that, and I still feel guilt over that, and I feel shame, and I, and I, I mean, you don't know what I've done. You ever heard somebody say that? Said that. You, you don't know what I've done. That's what, must, or that's what Peter must have been saying. The others saying sort of the same thing. They probably heard the story of what Peter had done, and they knew that they had sort of not been implicit what Peter had done, but they'd sort of done a similar thing. I mean, they, they left the Lord at the cross and went their own way, and I'm not piling on. But that's just the facts. So watch this. As the Lord wants to be your counselor and my counselor. He wants to do something in your heart. He'll go to such great lengths. Watch this. When you think the book is closed, he brings in an epilogue. The God of second chances. And third chances. And fourth chances. But all in the environment of humility and repentance, not feeling sorry for yourself. That's another place where people come in for counseling. And what they're feeling is, a lot of the times, wow, I just wish the Lord would lift this burden so that I could move on in my life. Oh, I get it. Some things, these, sometimes these things are hard, but that's not repentance. Repentance is realizing, like David did, I sinned against you, Lord, and I feel 
because I, I feel sorrow because I did that. I don't feel sorrow because I want you to get me off the hook. That's just feeling sorry. That's worldly sorrow. I feel like I've sinned against you, Lord, and it appears that I've hurt other people, and I want to put that right, and I want to change my mind about what that is, and I don't want to hide anymore. And I want to turn and walk towards you, and I want you to see how beautiful and how tender the Lord is in these situations. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That's just the Sea of Galilee in the north of Israel. And he showed himself, beautiful, man, it's so good to see the Lord. Just that he would show up and you would know. And where does he show up now? He shows up in his word. If you want to see what the Lord is like and you want to hear from the Lord, well, get in his word. Day and night, meditate on it. Don't Just half-hearted do it, day and night. And there he'll show himself, and Simon Peter was there. Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana, sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, two rich dudes who owned a fishing business before they were called out. Their dad had this business, and they participated. And two other of his disciples were together, and that should just bless your heart and bless my heart. You know why? Because the Lord is saying, I think, through that little scripture, these two unnamed disciples represent us. You think, well, come on, I'm down here in a little sliver of western PA with a couple hundred people just serving. I mean, does the Lord even notice? Here are two unnamed disciples, and the Lord counted them and put them in the story or his story and you and I, we're just unnamed disciples here, and, and he wants to put you into his story, and he does put you into his story. Isn't that great? You matter to God in important ways. So Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Now, there's many people who debate this. Should he have gone fishing or shouldn't he have gone fishing? Well, see, remember, Jesus had sort of implied several days before when they were in Jerusalem, hey, go up to Galilee. It appears from another gospel that there was an appointed mountain on which to meet him at. And these guys were at the beach, so to speak. These guys had all been fishermen. And now they're returning to their previous occupation. And some people in the church or commentators think, well, that's a shrinking back from what God has called them to. Other people in the church say, or other commentators say, no, 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 no. Remember, in the early church, they were all supporting one another. And now, since Jesus died and things are, uh, you know, kind of haywire right now, they were just going back to what they know. I'll let you be the Berean and think about that. But here's the point. They're not at the mountain. They're on the seashore. And they're getting ready to fish. Now, do you know this? This happened once before. Go back to Luke chapter 5. I'll take you there. Luke chapter 5. If you'll stick with me for about five more minutes, we're going to make this loop, and you're going to see something here that's going to bless your heart, and bless my heart. Look at this. In Luke chapter 5, there's these four fishermen who are called. 
They were by, by the lake of Galilee or the Sea of Galilee, same thing, uh, just called different names here. And the fishermen had gone from them, verse 2 here, and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Who are we dealing with now in John 21? Who are we dealing with? Simon, Peter. We're dealing with him now. Jesus is dealing with him. But he'd fished with him before. That's my point. I want you to know this. And when he fished with him before, look what happened. He had stopped speaking, verse 4, and he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Hey, master, listen. <laughs> I mean, you can read, but you know what he's saying. We're fishermen, man. This is what we do. We've been up all night. We're coming back to the shore, and we didn't catch anything. And we're used to this, Lord. This is sort of how we do business. We, we're patient. We're hardworking. We work in teams. We, we, we know what we're doing. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Listen, go let down your nets for a catch. And he said, Master, we toiled, caught nothing. Nevertheless, watch this, at your word, I'll let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was, note this, note this, was breaking. So it was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Now watch this. Watch. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, what did... Simon Peter say, and in one hand, this is a good response. Depart from me, for I am sinful man, O Lord. In one hand, that's a very great response. Anytime you come face to face with the Lord, it could knock you to your knees. Ask Isaiah, chapter 6. Several people in the Bible. And you see your sin, that's true. But see, Peter didn't get it yet. Depart from me. Sounds like there's this gap between Peter and the Lord. And there is a gap, a huge gap. But I want you to file that away for a second. You know that all who were with him, verse 9, were astonished at the catch of the fish which he had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now fast forward a couple years later, and here we find ourselves there fishing again. After Jesus has died, they've made their denials. They've scattered. Jesus appeared to them after he rose again several places. You know that. And now Jesus is putting this epilogue on to show this one final appearance. Because the Lord knows that he needs to restore, watch this, Peter to emotional and spiritual health. Can you imagine having to minister on or to keep on all your life with the guilt and shame of having said to the Lord, I'll never leave you. In fact, you know I love you more than these clowns. And within hours, everything that he had ever counted on, the rug was pulled out from underneath him. 
the emotional toll, the spiritual toll, the health toll that he must have been eaten away at him. Correct? And here he comes and watch this. He takes these people who, by the way, are very different. There's reconciliation and restoration in the resurrection life of Jesus for people. In other words, there are people in here that don't like the same things I like or don't like the same things you like. There are people in here that look different or make different types of money or have a different house or whatever, and none of that matters in the Lord. We come together because the very life of Christ pulses in and out of our lives. And now we become brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can live in a boat even when we, outside of Christ, may never even live together or like each other. But in Christ, we love one another. And we're, watch, we all begin to row in the same direction. Well, watch this. They said to him, we're, we're going with you also. He's going fishing, and the rest say, well, we'll go too. So they go out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? Jesus is doing something here, man. The first thing that must have gone through their mind is, you remember two and a half years ago when we were out on the lake and we did the same thing? It's taking Peter and the rest of the disciples back to that time where they sort of were introduced to the Lord. Watch this. And they thought, well, shoot, we'll live for the Lord. We're going to be the greatest disciples and the perfect people. And we'll muster up our self-discipline and courage. And the Lord has never seen people like us. You ever said something like that? <laughs> Have a person come to Bible study. 20 weeks in a row, <laughs> give money in the box. All of a sudden, our flesh life starts to do it again. Lord, my goodness, you cannot believe how good I've been over these last 20 weeks. I've been giving money, I've been serving, I've been loving you. It's amazing what I'm doing, Lord. You might not say that to yourself, but it happens. It happens to me. The self-life is very devious. Deceptive. We have a deceptive heart. Who could know it? The soul that sins shall surely die, Ezekiel says. But watch this. So they catch nothing, but when the morning had now come, again, sound familiar? They stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Why wouldn't they know it was Jesus? Well, come to Israel with us and you'll know. I mean, it's morning and you can't see everything. It's dark and it's misty and you know they're in the boat and he's whatever jesus said to them children you have any food what an interesting question you, you have any food you see the lord loves people like he cares for you it's not just like the lord is this amoeba blob god who just sort of acts impersonal towards you and just blobs you into the gazillion other people in the world. No, he cares for you. He cares that you eat and that you're comforted and that you're warm. Watch. And they answered him, no, we don't have any food. We've been out all night. <laughs> Wish we did. And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. 
Now, they don't know this is Jesus yet because the next line says John now recognizes him. But they do it. And if you obey the Lord in that way, sometimes when you can't even see or know, when you know the commandments of the Lord, and even everybody is telling you not to do it or to do it or whatever, but you know that the Lord's told you to do it, and you do it, that's where the beauty happens. When you just respond in faith to what the Lord has for you, even when everybody else is saying, are you kidding me? So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. And therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, why would he say it to Peter? Because remember, we think Peter went to John's house and lived there with Mary and John on the morning in which he was resurrected. They hung out together which is really interesting, again, because John is more the contemplative thinker. Peter's like barreling through the door. And you would never think that they would hang out together. It would irritate each other, but their love for each other in the Lord, here they are, and he knew, hanging out with him over these several days, he knew that it was eating away at his buddy. He knew it. And he said, look, it's the Lord, the only one who has any help, hope or help for us. It's the Lord. That's what John says. And Peter, it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, whew, he's out in the water, folks. He's probably in a loincloth because he's working. But a traditional Eastern greeting would include a robe. So he puts on a robe or his outer garments, whatever. He puts on his outer garments. For he'd removed it, and that was to work. And he just swam to the sea, through the sea, and get to the shore. He was just clearing anything away so that he could get to the Lord. He knew how he had been feeling. He knew the psychological and the emotional and the spiritual torment that he was under. And there was only one person that could do anything about it, and it's Jesus, the Lord. And here he is standing on the shore. And now, it must have been sort of hard to get there. Can you imagine swimming in the cloak or the outer garment? Can you imagine? And what would be going through Peter's mind? How is he going to treat me when I get up there? How is it going to go? I've done the most awful thing that any person could do. I failed him. I'm no good. There's nothing I can do for him. And And he plunged into the sea, and the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, and they were dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, watch this. Here's the answer. They saw a fire of coals. What do you think Peter's thinking? Uh-oh. Two and a half years ago, we caught no fish. We were up all night. He had a proper response in one way, but it, there was this implication that they were really far apart. And in one way, we are far apart from the Lord. He's holy. We're not. 
But what he said then was, depart from me. Watch this. He gets up to there. He sees a coal fire. You, you understand what the Lord's doing here, right here? You know, you could be tempted to think that the Lord is putting Peter under his thumb to show him a night of fishing without him, a coal, you know, a fire, just like on the night in which you betrayed me. And yet... The Lord does this. There's a fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said, wow, come on. Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And we'll, we'll, we'll cook that up too. Great job. We'll cook that up too. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish. And here's a question for the ages. 153. Why 153? Well, if you read the early church fathers, they have all these formulas about why this is 153. I'll give you some of those if you want them. And all of them sound great, but here's why I think it's 153. Because it's an eyewitness account. <laughs> and it's true. And it's not made up. And it impressed them. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Remember before the net broke? Remember now the net hasn't broken? Or see now that the net hasn't? And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. <laughs> Peter must have been like, what? Come eat breakfast? Aren't you going to like blast me? Aren't you going to scold me? Aren't you going to tell me I'm no good? Aren't you going to say, why weren't you there? Where did you go? What did you told me you were going to be there. You'd never leave me. You love me more than these. Why, didn't he, he must have thought that that's what Jesus was going to say. And Jesus says, look, I want you to see something. I want you to go back to that two and a half years ago, that first encounter when there was really nothing and the nets broke. And I want you to come back to the time in which you lived with me and you grew with me and you said you loved me in your own strength and there was a coal, you know, you warmed yourself at the fire and I want you to see that and I want you to go back to that and I want you to remember that in a good way, in a healthy way. I'm bringing you there because I want you to release all of the emotional and spiritual scars that you have and that we can move forward in me. You see, here's what I think many people think grace are. Grace is. Grace is like when your kid stabs somebody's in the in the leg with a scissor at school or something, and the parent comes to, you know, the parent teacher conference and says stuff like this. Oh, Timmy didn't mean that. He was tired. I kept him up and he has so much on his plate. Timmy, Timmy. And, and 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 then people say, well, and then they expect the 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 uh you know, the principal or the superintendent of the school to just say, hey, give him grace on this one. <laughs> you see, God doesn't do that. In fact, if you read Titus, grace is costly. It costs Jesus his life. So that a holy God, watch this, you want this, a holy God hates sin. But that shows that the sacrifice that was required, Jesus' life, means that God, who requires justice for sin, just hang with me for a minute, is free to release grace and favor 
to us. Don't think of grace as some just like, ah, oh, forget about it. No, the reason you can move on and be forgiven and move on freshly is because it costs so much. It just didn't cost you. So when you come here, here's what I'm trying to say, I guess. Jesus then came, took the bread, verse 13, and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. And watch this. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Three. Hmm, that's interesting. Peter denied him three times. So watch. Just keep with me. I see a glazed look on your face a little bit. Maybe I'm not getting this to you, but you're going to want to get this. So when they had eaten breakfast, isn't that cool? Jesus says, okay, now we've given breakfast. Let's do some business, Simon Peter. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, many of you have heard this several times, but let's just go through it again. There are different words for love in the Greek. Like, no offense, but hopefully my wife and I don't love each other in the same way that we love a dog. Oh, I better not say that in this environment. Or love the Steelers. I love the Steelers, man. Well, hopefully I don't love my wife the same way I love the Steelers. And that's what comes across in the Greek. Here, Simon, son of Jonah said, do you love me more than these? Jesus is saying, do you love me in an agape way? It's the word agape, which is unconditional love. And Peter says this, look at this. This is fascinating. Peter goes, Lord, yes, you know that I love you. And he uses the word for brotherly love. And Jesus said, okay, well, feed my lambs. And then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally, the highest form of love? You know this. And Simon Peter replies back, or Peter replies back, yes, Lord, you know that I love you brotherly love. He does it again. And Jesus says to him, well, then tend my sheep. And then he says to him a third time, Simon... Son of Jonah, watch this. Is this beautiful or what? Jesus goes, do you love me? And Jesus uses the word for phileo or phileo, which means brotherly love. He goes, oh, okay, Peter. I see what you're saying. You love me in that way. By the way, how many times does he ask him he loved him? Three I know that you love me in that way. And listen, in this grade of the Lord, we can work with that. He goes, I know what your heart's like, Peter. I know what a human heart is like. Anybody here? You know, when we sing, time out. My man, John Kennedy, who's in Philadelphia this week, enjoying his birthday and his fillies. You know what John Kennedy and I always say to each other? We laugh about this. When we sing, I surrender all in here. I have a tough time saying that, singing that. <laughs> and we always laugh. John always goes, okay, I'll sing, I surrender most. I can do that. <laughs> and that's sort of what the Lord's doing here. 
John's recognizing that he wants to, I'm recognizing that I want to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But watch this. In my humanness, sometimes I don't, but I want to. And Lord, I need your help. And the Lord says, I can work with that. Faith, just a little mustard seed, and we can move mountains. But it's interesting, he says it here now three times, or interacts with him three times. And what I want you to see is that Jesus has just moved Peter from feelings of failure and hopelessness, and I'm never going to be used, and I, watch this, to a position of leadership within the church, and what was the key? Here, he says, oh, wait a minute, you know that I brotherly love you. We're friends, Lord, I love you that way. And Jesus says, I want you to feed my lambs. Young people, what does this mean? Young people, he wants the young people in the Lord. I want you to feed them the word and I want you to care for them. And I want you to be a, a shepherd of the sheep. And I want you to feed my young people in the Lord. Not necessarily Sunday school, but could be Sunday school. But I'm talking about the people who have just come into the, start feeding them. And he says to them again, do you love me? Do you agape me? And he says, you know, Lord, I brotherly love you. And he says, okay, listen, now you're going you're gonna to tend my sheep too. You're going to be a protector of the flock. And that's what a pastor does. They're a protector of the flock just as much as they're a feeder of the flock so that when wolves come in, the pastor and their staff keep them out. And he's saying here, you're moving from a feelings of failure to leading in the church by tending the sheep. And then he says to him a third time, do you love me, Phileo? And Peter was grieved, but he said to him, yeah, you know, uh, uh, Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you, phileo. And the Lord said, okay, feed my sheep. Bring them into maturity as you feed them. You see that? Now, he said to him, or he said to them, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourselves and walked where you wished but when you are old, you're going to stretch out your hands. Everybody do me a favor. Stretch out your hands like you're on the cross. Doesn't that feel sort of weird? You know why? What's this do? This means I'm protecting myself. And I feel closed and I feel more comfortable because now I can't, I'm not as vulnerable. But when I do this, that's vulnerable. Ask anybody who you know, does MMA or something. <laughs> this protection, this vulnerable. He says, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you don't wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, this is crazy. This is crazy. This is upside down from the world. He said, Peter, I can take you from a hopeless, broken down, never thinking you could do any good. That's what you're feeling in emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. And in a minute, I can take you to being a leader, a servant in the church. And you're going to do it this way through the environment 
of humility and repentance. Repentance. You're going to agree with God that what you did was a sin, not wrong or an anger management problem or you got anger because you're Irish or something like that. No, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And that place is a vulnerable place because you and I were trained, at least I was, to protect and to hide and to not show emotion and to say, I don't need help. And the Lord's saying here, right here, listen, if you'll come to me in repentance where you're just open with me and with others, in weakness, acknowledging that you need help and you need my help, I'm your all in all, boom. He takes you on a journey where you can even lead others. In this case, he takes him on a journey. But if he had been saying to himself, Lord, Lord, I just want people not to know about what I've done. Just help me to kind of escape the manipulation, or excuse me, the, the scrutiny and uh, uh, all that sort of thing. Uh, just kind of hide it together and let's just you and I know about this. Listen, that's not repentance. That's just being sorry for what you did. And we read in 2 Corinthians 7 what that leads to. That leads to death. That's not real repentance. The Lord just says, listen, in the midst of everything you're feeling about yourself, if you'll just come to me and admit what it is you've done and have done and will do, and you just say, I wouldn't need to count on you. That's repentance. And immediately the Lord enters in for Peter and heals him and brings him on this journey to the place where he feels comfortable now saying, look at it, right? Oh, and by the way, Peter, I know how you're going to die. You're going to die with your arms open. See, isn't that what Christians do for other people who don't know the Lord? They lay down their lives for them. Oh, you might not die physically like somebody in a third world country, but you know what you die to? Your schedule. When somebody calls you and needs you, you're there. It might be your pocketbook. When somebody... It might be something else. You're dying to yourself, but that you would live for him in a vulnerable way because you are one who's taken up the cross. You get this? And Jesus says, now you're ready. <laughs> Follow me. Listen, one commentator says this, when a person has settled the matter of death, let me read it again. When a person has settled the matter of death, then he's ready to serve. You get that? You're free to serve. Because he says, follow me right after this. It's, it's almost too hard to believe. <laughs> By the way, Jesus was right. <laughs> In the mid-60s AD, under Caesar Nero, Peter was crucified. This is extra biblical, but... He was crucified, and he was crucified. He asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die like his Lord did. So that happened. But the greater point about this is, is that we're to live in repentance and humility, and the Lord makes something beautiful, watch, out of what's weak, 
when he when we are weak he's strong and glorious in our lives when we admit and we don't hide when we're vulnerable and talk to people the bible tells us to keep short accounts with the lord and uh, agree with your adversary how grudgingly no it says quickly you know how to take the sting out of an accusation oh you're right <laughs> in fact if you knew me it's probably worse than what you're actually saying and praise the lord that he's forgiven me and now i can move on in health wholeness healing spiritual and the lord can use me in that way but when you hide peter had gone from saying depart from me and that was sort of good yes the lord is holy and i'm sinful to be in a person who had failed him miserably who stuck on his robe swam to him and ate breakfast with him how close is that well the self life still lingers <laughs> all this amazing stuff that the lord did for peter and he'll do it for you and me too he'll move us on in grace and repentance and humility but after all that the lord has did done this beautiful thing peter turns around it's the worst thing you can do don't turn around and look at other people oh my goodness look what he's doing he's so amazing and he's always up early and he's got he's doing all his bible studies what am i and you know the the pastor asked him to give the announcements and now he's never asked me See that's what Peter's doing. He turns around and he sees John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, who also had leaned on his breast at supper. You get why John is telling you that? Peter now is getting jealous. He's comparing himself with other people in the faith, and he says, "Lord, who is the one who betrays you?" And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, "But Lord, is this comical or what? Is this so like human nature?" I'm telling you get off Instagram. This is where this sort of thing happens. They put their best foot forward. They don't show you the cruddiness of life. Here he says, "But what about John?" And Jesus says to him, "If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me." I got news for you. We're all rowing in the same direction. But the Lord has different plans for me than he has for you in a sense. It's not better or worse, it's just different. You know that John lived to be or lived into the mid 90s. Peter died in the mid 60s. You say, "Oh wow, he got the short end of the stick." <laughs> Peter was right. Well, Peter went to be with the Lord earlier. But there's this saying went out, went out among the brethren that this disciple wouldn't die yet Jesus didn't say to him that he would not die but if I will that he remains till I come what is that to you you guys get that right there was this rumor going around that Jesus wasn't coming back until John died and that uh, Jesus was going to preserve the life of John and not the others so John got some special treatment and the Lord saying what what are you guys talking about I'm calling you to follow me I'm going to do something different in your life than I'm going to do in Tim's or Peter's or John's. Do you get that? Let me tell you a little story. And I'll get you out of here. 
We started this church in our living room, 11 years, never even thought about having a church on Sunday mornings, never even entered our minds. And there was this couple that came to us one time on a Friday night and said, we want to tithe here. We're like, what? You want to what? Yeah, we want to tithe here. We consider this our church. So can we tithe? And we're like, well, we don't have the ability to do that. I mean, we're not set up. We can't do that. Next time we had home fellowship, no kidding. Can you believe it? Another couple came to us, independent of the other couple, and said, we want to tithe here. And we're like, okay, Lord, we get the picture. So we searched for a place to meet for two and a half years. The Lord opened up the Elizabeth Grand Theater. We're going to do this grand ministry here in the South Hills. And one day I was looking on social media. Don't do that. Don't be a dummy like me. And I'm like, new church opening up, South Hills. What? Right in this area. And I'm like, what? We don't have slick social media stuff like this. And immediately my mind's going, why don't we have social media stuff like this? We've been, come on, we've been around for 13 years, 12 years. We got nothing. Church blows up. 400, 500 people. I go to my kids' uh, hockey practice one time. I always, they were little and I, I was... Um, lacing them up. They were too little to sort of do that. Lacing them up, and I get a tap on my shoulder. It's the pastor of the other church. He sort of, like, you ever been around somebody that, like, sort of shakes your hand but doesn't pay attention to you? He does one of those to me. I'm like, what in the world? And I got to tell you, I go home, and I'm pouting with the Lord. I'm like, Lord... Come on. You got all these kids going to this church? What do you... I'm jealous. I'll admit it. (laughs) And I'm sitting there, and the Lord uses that verse. I flip open my Bible. I'm not really... And I'm just sort of reading, and I read, if I will that uh, he remain till I come, what is that to you? I or excuse me, you follow me. And I got to tell you, it settled it right there. Boom. And it was over in my heart. And I just went around and I was happy for what the Lord provided. And whatever the Lord did, you follow me. And it just ministered to me in such a way. And I think it did to Peter too. And then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple wouldn't die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he wouldn't die, but it's that he would remain till I come. Verse 24, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose even the world itself couldn't contain the books that would be written. Amen. And here's what I want to say to you. 2 Corinthians 7 is so powerful, what we read earlier. 
The Lord just wants you to live, and for me to live, an open, transparent life. But the problem is our self-life wants to cover up like this. Jesus calls us to open up our arms and be vulnerable and to be real and raw with him in a good way, in the appropriate way, and confess our sins. And God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The number one thing we need in our life is Forgiveness of sins so that we can be reconciled back to God. Why? Because, watch this, when we come to the Lord in weakness, that's when he lifts us up. And he can take what we've fried in our humanness emotionally and spiritually and psychologically, and he can help us to put that in the past and move on in spiritual health. And we have a lot of people who are running around in the Christian life and they're stuck back here and the Lord wants them moving on in Christ. Watch this. You ever love this verse? Habakkuk. Do you say Habakkuk or Habakkuk? Oh, well, whatever. Habakkuk 319. The Lord is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon the high places. Watch this. Psalm 18, 33. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me on my high places. You Listen, folks, and I'll stop. The Lord wants you to be nimble in the rocky high places of life. The heavenly places He wants you to be able to dance there, but guess what? It's rocky and sometimes it's dangerous and there's danger and yet he wants you to be nimble and to be able to navigate it. But in order to do that, you have to be forgiven and take, watch this, and take your failures and your sorrows and the things that you are holding on to closed and open them up. He wants you to take them, watch this, and bury them deep in his grace so that you can run high and free in the Lord. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do. We don't, uh, we come here this morning, we're thankful. Lord, comparison is such a stealer of our joy. Lord, sometimes we can feel like a failure or that we're wicked and have an evil heart or something like that. Or maybe there's something else that's unhealthy in our life and the Lord wants us to, or you want to call us on to spiritual health and to run in the high places, the heavenly places. Lord, in order to do that, it takes repentance and humility and the ability to recognize and respond to your grace and be thrilled in your love. Thank you, Lord, for all of that. In Jesus' name, amen.